welcome to the Good Question with Jessica Tanderup podcast. I'm Jessica, and I have a passion for asking hard questions and going deep in conversation. Usually, these discussions happen over dinner or coffee with a close friend. But on this podcast, I bring them to you because I want you to know if you have questions, you're not alone. On this show, I invite apostolic leaders, thinkers, and fellow believers to tackle the tough topics questioners face as we strive to live out our biblical mandate to love God, love people, and take the gospel to the whole world here in the 21st century. I hope you'll stick around because when you know Jesus is the answer, every question can be a good question. Hi, friends. Welcome to episode 22. We are so glad you've chosen to give our podcast a listen. We've had some great episodes lately. I hope you enjoyed the testimonies last week and the discussion on giving. If those impacted you, will you let us know? A social media share or a comment or a review on Apple Podcasts lets us know you're listening and appreciating this content. And if you feel led to support us financially, we'd be blessed to have you. You can give a one-time gift at buymeacoffee.com or you can sign up to become a monthly supporter on Anchor. Links for both of those are in the show notes. Thank you to everyone who has given to further our mission here and to those who are giving monthly. You are blessing us as we work to get people thinking, spark conversation, and let someone know they aren't alone. On a recent episode, I told you that one of my absolute favorite things about making this show is talking to people who are passionate about the topic we're discussing and their role in the kingdom of God. And today we have a guest for you who is just that. Marcel Fulton is an evangelist and core leader of Seven, the addiction and recovery ministry hosted by the Pentecostals of Alexandria. Marcel joined us to share his story of deliverance from alcoholism. But as you'll hear, deliverance was only the first step. The insight he shares about the discipleship and gospel teaching he's experienced in rooms of recovery and through the 12 steps absolutely revolutionized my ideas of what it means to reach our communities for Jesus. It's not an exaggeration to say this interview blew me away. I know it's going to impact you as well. So listen in now to my conversation with Marcel Fulton. Marcel Fulton, welcome to Good Question. Well, thank you for having me. I'm just absolutely honored to be a part of this. Well, I was so excited to get your name and your information. We reached out to your church, the Pentecostals of Alexandria, about their ministry focused on addiction and recovery called Seven. And we're going to have you tell us a whole lot about that. But before we do that, I just want to have a little bit of an introduction about you. Who are you and what are you all about? Sure. Well. My name is Marcel Fulton, and I'm here in Alexandria, Louisiana. My wife and I, uh, I'm a business owner. We had uh, six children. Uh, regrettably, my son uh, passed away in 2011. Mm. Uh, but we do have five daughters and 12 grandchildren. You know, our home church here is the Pentecostals of Alexandria. I am uh, an evangelist that is based out of the Pentecostals of Alexandria. I have been 30 one years in recovery, God delivered me 31 years ago from chronic alcoholism. Mm. And uh, I've been involved in street ministry. I have been blessed to be someone that's been able to go around the globe in most instances and talk about recovery, the, the healing power of Jesus Christ and what he has done in my life. And to not only do that, but to carry the gospel 
and to give people a message of hope that if he does it for me, he will, not might, he will do it for you. I've just been absolutely blessed. And and I don't know if you can tell, but you will before this is over. I am still excited (laughs) to carry the gospel of the death, burial, resurrection, but also to give people a statement of hope that no matter where you are, if it's suffering with addictions, if it's suffering with hurts, habits, hangups, whatever it is that has you bound, Jesus Christ has an answer for you. Well, I love that. That is a powerful place to start. And I'm so excited to hear about this because I love what you said just there that you've been in recovery for 31 years. Yes, ma'am. I think a lot of times growing up in the church, I've heard testimonies of people who've been delivered from addiction. But the way I've always heard it described is that it was a deliverance and it happened and it was over. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that there's probably a lot of those stories that I didn't get all the details of. And hopefully we'll cover some of that. Yes, I would love to ask too. Sure, sure. So tell me about Seven. What is it and how did it start? How did you get involved with it? Well, Seven is a Christ-centered recovery ministry that deals with not just addictions, but again, as I said, anybody with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Most people are familiar with 12-step programs and they're familiar with things like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. NA, Narcotics Anonymous, you have Overeaters Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous, and many, many more. But what a lot of people don't understand, there are over 200 named 12-step programs around the world. Now, I lose track after about five Alcoholics (laughs) Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Cocaine, Overeaters, Sex Addicts Anonymous. I can't even envision another 196 Mm -hmm. different, but these are people that suffer with addiction of various kind. So when you think of just chemicals, it's far more reaching than that. You know, seven also deals with the family member side. Hmm. If you ask your church congregation, you know, by a show of hands, how many people in here are affected by addictions, either directly or someone in your family? You'd be astounded by the Mm -hmm. amount of hands that go up. That's what seven is. And it is based on the word of God and the 12 steps which come out of the word of God. That is something that a lot of people don't realize. When you mention steps, it automatically throws up a defense mechanism, especially in the church, mm-hmm. where it's like, well, you know, they, they think of it as secular. Yeah. And, you know, regrettably, like a lot of things, secularism has crept into these programs. But originally, originally, if anybody ever wants to know where the steps came from, they came out of Matthew chapters five through seven the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, and the entire book of James. So it is all coming out of the Word of God. Now, Seven started back in 2008, and uh, how it started, I'm sure a lot of your listeners and you yourself are familiar with the Mangans, Mm -hmm. and that is my pastor, Pastor Anthony, and uh, his wife, Sister Mickey Mangan, and uh, Sister Mickey's nephew, Trey Lumpkin, was touched by addiction. Trey had to go to a to a treatment center for alcoholism. And her words exactly was when Trey went to rehab on his own in March of 2008, he was eligible for a weekend pass from treatment center and would be allowed to come to Alexander. In order to receive the pass, Trey had to commit to attending at least one AA meeting per day while he was gone and asked me if I would go with him. So it was that that I, Mickey Mangan, found myself in my first AA meeting. Mm. 
She said, I went into a room in a building in my community I didn't even know existed. My senses were assaulted with the smells of fresh brewed coffee, cigarette smoke, and language around me, which was sometimes a little more colorful what I had been accustomed to. <laughs> Yet when I sat down and looked around, there were familiar faces, respected community people, members of our own congregation, who were just as surprised to see me as I was to see them. And I realized how wide-sweeping the issues of addiction truly are. And it was at that time she saw the need of people in the community that were suffering with addictions and were having to go to other places besides the church mm. to find answers. And it was at this time in 2008, I remember it very well, that we were on a corporate 21-day Daniel fast. And it was in that fast that we had morning prayer, we had evening prayer every day at the church, and it was just absolutely astounding the amount of people that were praying for their loved ones or their children or anybody in their family that was bound by addiction. Sister Mickey went into a serious prayer, as we all did during this time, and it was at that time that the Lord gave her a vision of seven ministries. The Lord gave it to her. And on March the 9th, a Sunday evening service, pastor was getting ready to preach. Now, Sister Mickey would tell you, she has never interrupted her husband <laughs> getting ready to preach. Never in her life has she done. And that night, as he was getting ready to preach, as a matter of fact, he had already said, you may be seated. The Holy Ghost is going to operate. It was at that moment that Sister Mickey stepped up beside Pastor Mangan and said, if you'll forgive me, I've been in prayer and I, I got something to say. And she interrupted that service and she went in to, uh, the only way I can describe it is a prophetic vision of seven and the burden that was on her was so great that it stopped the entire service. The Holy Ghost moved. People were moved to the front, crying for their families. And it was at that time people were saying, what can I do to help? What can I do? We had no idea what this ministry was. We had nothing. Mm -hmm. We hadn't started anything. But see, a lot of us, like myself, it was an answer to prayer. A lot of us had been in recovery, had been in the church. We were watching people die from untreated alcoholism, drug addiction. But as you well know, you I know you see it, and, and a lot of people do, but we wear the mask so well that everything's okay. Inwardly, we're dying. It's, it, it's almost as like, and I've said it before, it's like for whatever reason we get in our minds, even if I'm not okay, I need to tell you I'm okay mm. because if I tell you I'm not okay, I am somehow making God look weak. Mm. No, God is God. What In my weakness, I am strong. Yeah. I mean, he, God doesn't need me to prop him up to make him look better. Yeah. And that's, I see that all the time. And it, it was from that moment. And from that moment, things kind of, kind of started moving rapidly. That was that Sunday night on March the 9th. By March the 18th, we had our very first meeting of people that were interested in helping. 
there were 41 people in attendance at that meeting. By April to November, we had started monthly meetings for people with addictions and their family members. Now, just once a month, we would go once a month. And by this team, Sister Mickey had picked a, a core team. And what the core team consisted of is one couple, let's say my wife and I, uh, I suffered with alcoholism. There was another couple that uh, their family suffered with drug addiction. There was the family members who had children that suffered with addictions. We had an attorney that covers the legalities of a lot of the things. Mm. It was 10 people. One was a nurse. Well, several of them were nurses. and But they all had some ties to addiction, but it was a very great cross member of people in the church. And so what we started doing is we started going through. I was familiar with the 12 step because of how I came up when I got sober. When God, and I, I will say God delivered. OK, uh, December 27th of 1990 at two o'clock in the morning. I'll never forget it. <laughs> was my delivery instantaneous? No, it was not. <laughs> now, can God do it instantaneously? Most certainly he can. But mine was more of I looked up. I'll never forget it. It was a very, very cold, clear night. You know, when it's cold outside, the stars are just twinkling a little bit brighter. Mm -hmm. And I looked up and I was drinking out of a bottle I hid in the bushes earlier that day. Now, I'm at my own house in my own yard drinking out of a bottle that I had hid in the bushes. Now, this is going already been to an outpatient treatment facility, an inpatient treatment facility with all this knowledge you could ever hope to have. and. I just looked up and I said, God, I can't do it anymore. I just, I can't do it. And I had been familiar with the rooms of recovery. And I got a direction, an unction in my spirit to go back into these rooms and start listening to these people. And, uh, and I did. And I have not had to have a drink since hmm. that day. And you know what? A lot of people might not realize that that's a miracle yeah. for somebody like me. that is a miracle. God is still in the miracle working business. Did I struggle in the, in the early days? Yeah, yes, I did. I did. That, that was that part of the brain that wanted to drink and another part didn't want to drink. And it was, it was a struggle. And I thank God to this day that people surrounded me and loved me. And uh, a word, of course, we use it in the church. We're not that great at it, I regret to say. They discipled me. Mm. They put their arm around me and discipled me. And, and I'll get a little bit more into detail on that here in just a little bit. But they truly did something with me every day, not just maybe once a week or twice a week, every day. That's why I use the word disciple. Mm. And so we, those of us that were already in recovery, we kind of had a foot up. We knew we went with the Celebrate Recovery model. Sister Mickey was getting a lot of input from different methods on how to apply these biblical principles. Celebrate recovery seemed to be the fit. The only difference, of course, is one little blurb in the middle with the doctrinal difference, but you can get around that. Mm -hmm. You know, we got these 12 steps that come out of the word of God, and then we just apply our truth, our doctrine in that, and that's no problem at all. And so we started down this path. We even went to a one-day training seminar held in the Covenant Church in Dallas, Texas. We went to the core group of us, went out to Saddleback Church in California to a recovery summit. We spent a week out there trying to learn how these people, how are you doing what you're doing? 
Mm-hmm. We had our first official weekly addicts meeting. We started from once a, once a month to once a week. We gradually went into this. And so let's say the monthly meeting started in between April and November. By December, we're starting to go to a weekly meeting. And then it just has, has grown from there. Right now, we are six nights a week. We mm-hmm. do meetings six nights a week at the church. Every night, Monday through Saturday, every night at seven o'clock, seven at seven. We're going into our 14th year of doing this. We're going into our 14th year. And the core team, with the exception of one one of our good members, uh, uh, passed away in a motorcycle accident. Other than that, the the core team has remained intact. We've added a couple of people for a pastoral element into the seven core. So that's seven in a nutshell. I know it seemed like a long time, but that is seven in a nutshell. <laughs> and of course, my involvement in it was, of course, my journey in recovery, which continues to this day. That's so fascinating. As a profession, I'm a sign language interpreter. Mm-hmm. And I think back on an opportunity that I had at one point early, early in my career, where I was asked to come to an AA meeting and interpret for an individual who was deaf, who was coming to AA. Right. And I turned the job down because I didn't know. I just didn't know if it was a place that I could fit comfortably with my background and my understanding of the spirit and the word. But I have never heard anyone say that the that the core of the 12 steps comes out of the word. I find that fascinating. Yes. That somehow along the way, it turned into something where me as a as a young person growing up in the church felt like it was contrary to the word and contrary to the spirit. Where did that twist happen? How did that happen? Well, I've done a lot of research on it. Now, first off, let me just go ahead and say, I am not an addictionologist. I have had just enough college psychology to be a danger to myself and everybody around me. So (laughs) I don't want anybody to think that I'm an expert in addiction. Uh, I am an expert in what God has done for me and what he has shown me and brought me through for 31 years. But all the research that I have done is that the 12 steps go back to an organization called the Oxford Groups. The Oxford Groups were around the 20s and 30s. And believe it or not, what they were trying to do was get back to first century apostolic type of living. Hmm. And they had absolute, absolute honesty, absolute confession, absolute restitution. They, they had, they were called six absolute. And part of that was you discipling or carrying the message to other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where it started was with the Oxford groups. Now, you can go back further behind that to a group called the Washingtonians. Uh, they kind of had the same thing. The Oxford group kind of took it. The Oxford group got kind of involved in politics and this and that, their demise. They got involved with, in too many things. Of course, Bill Wilson, Dr. Bob are the ones that it's, it's fascinating when you read God's hand in all of this, where he took a an alcoholic stockbroker from New York, a doctor who was very spiritual from Akron. You had psychiatrist, psychologist, Dr. Carl Hume, who some believe is the father of modern psychology. You had a man named Dr. Silkworth, who was the head of Pounds Hospital in New York. He worked with over 50,000 alcoholics in his lifetime. And uh, God coordinated all these people to come in contact with each other 
where they had the spiritual solution, the problem. And that's, I'd like to get into that a little bit, that most people do not understand the problem. Hmm. And it all came together to where people who suffered with addiction, alcoholism, drug addiction, if they followed God's word, and I like to use this term, they could live usefully and happily whole. And I mean, that's, that's the whole reason. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Hmm. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. And so what better way can I do that than to, you, to live usefully and happily whole? And if you don't mind me saying this, you know, when Jesus spoke in Luke chapter 418, where, where he first came out and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Now, that whole little verse right there is talking about redemption, recovery, and restoration. Redemption, recovery, and restoration. Of course, we we know the church, we're wonderful at talking about redemption. Mm-hmm. You know, redemption, salvation, the clearing of a debt, but not so much on recovery and restoration. Yeah. You know, the definition of recovery is to regain something that was lost. And restoration is to restore to a previous or like new condition. So what Jesus is saying in this verse here, I come to preach the gospel to the poor. There's your redemption, your salvation. You know, to, to has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to captives and recovery, recovery, something that I previously had that I've lost, mm. recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. We see it all the time. I guarantee you there's almost not one Christian in this world that doesn't know the words to amazing grace. Mm. And when you sing that, but we never think about it. Amazing grace, how great the sound. That saved a wretch like me, salvation. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Recovery. Was blind, but now I see restoration. Hmm. Even the song sings about redemption, recovery, and restoration. And like I said, the church is absolute. We are spot on with redemption. We are spot on with the Acts 2.38 message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are lacking in recovery and redemption. Hmm. So I agree with you 100%. And I'm so thankful to hear someone saying it and bringing it to our attention because I believe it, it needs to be something that we think about and realize and try to fix. You said people don't understand the problem. Right. Is that where the issue lies, is that we don't actually understand the problem? You know, I think a lot of it, because especially with alcoholism, okay, there's a a lot of people, everybody knows, everybody got somebody that, you know, the word alcoholic, okay, number one, only affects about 10% of the population. Only 10% of the population are truly addicted. The rest of them are just abusing it and drunks or whatever, okay? They can stop whenever they want to, whenever they choose to. Then you start to get into the debate, and I hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. It, it doesn't have to be in the church. It's, it's everywhere. Is, is it a choice or is it a disease? Mm. Okay. So I believe 
The American Medical Association knows better than most, and they say that addiction is a disease. Now, does it start with a choice? Of course it does. Mm -hmm. Of course it does. Everybody makes a choice to do whatever. I mean, I'm allergic to penicillin, okay? I was allergic to penicillin before I got saved, and chances are I am still allergic to penicillin. Now, I have (laughs) not found it since I have been baptized with the Holy Ghost to go to the doctor and say, you know what? I want to see. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I, I'll share this story with you. Okay, now I, I had an allergic reaction to penicillin when I was 12 years old. It was one of those typical, you swell up, turn red, throat tries to close. The doctor said at that time when I was 12, you can never have penicillin again. Okay. Hmm. Now, I want to say probably about five years ago, and I'm 59 years old, about five years ago, I went to the doctor. I had upper respiratory infection. Doctor asked me, but gave me a prescription for some antibiotics. I went to the pharmacist. Now, I'm used to, if it says psyllin at the end of it, you know, say, no, 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 I'm allergic to that. Well, this didn't have that. I, it was a name I had never heard before. And I went to the pharmacist, and the pharmacist took my prescription. He looked at it. He said, aren't you allergic to penicillin? I said, yeah. He said, this has penicillin in it. Do you want me to still fill it? I said, no. <laughs> absolutely, no, absolutely not. I don't want you to fill it. <laughs> you know, I couldn't do that with alcohol. I could not do, no matter what happened to me with alcohol, I always thought it was a good idea to do it again, hmm. no, no matter what the reaction. Now, that, that, that happens in the mind. You see, a lot of people get confused with alcohol, and they think, okay, yeah, they just drink too much. Once they put it in, they can't stop. My statement would be, and it's the same statement that was asked me when I first came into the rooms of recovery, because I didn't out didn't quite understand what my problem was. I knew I drank too much and I didn't want to. Okay. Hmm. And my sponsor is what we call them in the rooms of recovery. Church calls them accountability partners. It's all the same thing. He asked me a very simple question. He said, what's the most insane thing you have ever done? And my mind automatically went to all the crazy things I had done under the influence of alcohol. Hmm. And he said, was it, was it while drinking or was it while sober? And I said, uh, well, drinking. He said, no, it wasn't. It was when you were sober. And I'm thinking to myself, how do you, what, what, what was it? And he said, I'm going to tell you what it was. He said, you, knowing all the trouble that alcohol has caused you and all the pain and misery and suffering that alcohol has caused you, stone cold sober with no mind altering chemicals in your body, you thought it was a good idea to do it again. You see, I couldn't blame it on alcohol. I was broken, and God is the only one that can fix that. Mm. See, if you think the alcohol is the problem, if you know the difference between a glass of whiskey and a glass of water, that's all the knowledge you need to stay sober. Mm. That's all the knowledge you need. But when you have a mind that tells you it's going to be different this time, or it's okay, or that's not going to happen, That is a mental condition that only God can fix. Only God can fix that. And when he fixes that, then I don't have to worry about putting alcohol in my body. I don't do it. It's a wholeness of mind. You know, the Bible talks about we need a renewing of our mind. Well, God had to renew my mind in order for me not to drink. That's what had to take place. And that's what has to take place in every alcoholic or drug addict. So. To say, well, it's just a choice. 
Yes. The first one may have been, just like when I originally started taking penicillin, yeah, it was a choice. Yeah, I'll take a shot of penicillin and give it to me if it's going to make me better. That, does that make sense? It does make sense. It does. But I think the question then that I would follow up with that is, okay, so if God delivers you and heals that part of your brain that that gives you this message to keep doing this thing that's not good for you, mm-hmm. then where does the role of of continuing in recovery, of continuing to attend meetings and meet with other people who suffer from addiction, what role does that part of it play? I'm glad you asked. Because that was part of addiction. Now, most, well, I'll just go ahead and tell you what recovery teaches and what I have found in my own life to be true, okay? Alcohol is not the problem. Alcohol is actually the solution. I have a spiritual problem that alcohol fixed. I didn't go about it the right way. Now, what is that spiritual problem? The spiritual problem is selfishness and self-centeredness. Mm-hmm. Now, I will tell you what the recovery programs and even the psychologists and the therapists will tell you is the alcoholic and the drug addict suffer from selfishness and self-centeredness, though they usually don't think so. Hmm. We have a warped sense of the world around us. Now, Paul said, I must die daily. You ask the question, why do they need to continue? Paul said, I must die daily. The only thing the steps do, there's no miracle in the steps. The only thing the 12 steps do is how I can apply God's word in my life to die daily. I'll give you an example. One of the steps was says made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Well, that's fine. Because James said, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Hmm. So I need to inventory myself. And we as apostolics, we hate that word, confess your sins to each other. Mm-hmm. We do not like that. But that's <laughs> the word of God. Mm-hmm. James 5 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. It taught me how to do that. Mm. You know, everybody that God has delivered at an altar, and we have both give testimonies in seven, like myself, who had to go through a process, and people that got instantaneous delivered. And do you know that everybody that God instantaneously delivered at an altar did the same steps? They just didn't have have them written down for them. Hmm. And I will ask each and every one of them, because we got many, and there's many. Look, brother so-and-so, but I want you to hear this for just a second. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over drugs and alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. Did you admit that what you had, were doing was a problem, hmm. brother so-and-so? Well, of course I did. Of course they have to admit. We have got to admit that we got a problem. We've got to admit that we have sin or we're not going to seek repentance. Right. So they admitted. Did you believe that Jesus Christ was your answer? Yeah. Well, that's step two, came to believe in a power greater than ourselves. And we don't like that to restore us to sanity. But they're just trying to ease it for people that don't know. Hmm. And people say, well, you know, that's not being the truth of the gospel. Well, the Bible tells me to be sly as a serpent and gentle as a dove. Mm-hmm. Pastor Terry Shock preached a message years ago. I'll never forget it. And it was on salt and light. And we are supposed to be the light and the salt. He said, but you know what? If you got too much salt, you ruin the taste. And if you're too bright, you blind people. Mm-hmm. And I understood that. And I understood what these people were trying to write. They were trying to kind of ease. Because a lot of people that I have found in addiction have been hurt and have been hurt by church people and by their own thinking. 
And I'm going to tell you this. I was one of them. Mm. See, I was that person. I was that person that was raised better than they turned out, Jessica. Mm. I was raised better than to go down the road that I went down. And as I was going down this road, believe me, I was begging God. I did not want to be this way. I don't want to be this way. I do not like who I've become. Please do something. Please save me. Please change me. Please, I don't want to drink anymore. I was begging. I was pleading. I was doing all these things, and I was getting worse. Now, for me, in my addiction to alcohol, I didn't seem to be getting any answers. And I formed two opinions. Either God doesn't care, or I have done so much wrong, I'm beyond reach. Mm. And I believe, though. And I have run into scores of church people who have felt the same way. Both of those were a lie from the end. And the reason I know that is because when God removed my mental obsession, I'll never forget the day he did it. I knew it was an absolute lie. And I knew that what I thought I was thinking was a lie. He did care about me. He did love me. I was not beyond his reach because there was not one single solitary soul on the face of this earth, not a doctor, not a therapist, not a spouse, not a mother, not a father, not a pastor, nobody, no human being could remove my mental obsession to drink alcohol. And when that happened, I knew it was Jesus Christ. And I knew I was a living, breathing, walking miracle. Now, I would love to tell you that that happened to me at a church altar. It did not. Hmm. But it makes it no less a miracle. Yeah. It makes it no less a miracle. Hmm. I love the correlation to discipleship mm-hmm. because it sounds to me like whether we've suffered with addiction to alcohol or drugs or anything else, it sounds like as Christians, we should all be walking these recovery steps. Oh, absolutely. And we should all be working together to help one another stay on track. Not that I wasn't getting this information from behind the pulpits. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It's not that I wasn't getting, was not getting the information. Okay. I can sit here and I can tell you that I can picture every evangelist or preacher or pastor that has ever talked from behind the pulpit about the root of bitterness. I know yourself have probably heard many sermons on the root of but you cannot harbor bitterness in your heart. And I can I can see them physically making the motions to go down into their chest. And you got to rip it out by the roots. Mm. I didn't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, I did not know how to do it. And when I heard sermons, I was left to my own devices or reading the word of God. I was left to my own mind on how to do that. How do you do it? I'll give you an example. I didn't know what it meant, pray without ceasing. Okay. I know the word says that we're supposed to pray with prayer without ceasing. Well, how do you actually do that? Mm. And you know, it took people in another room, I regret to say outside of the church, that put their arm around me and said, Marcel, now they didn't say you're, you're supposed to pray without ceasing. What they told me was, when you get up in the morning, when your feet hit the floor, you hit your knees, and you thank God for another day. You ask him to guide you and direct you and keep you so. As you go through the day, you pause when you're agitated or doubtful and you ask God for the right thought or direction. If you harm anybody, you stop, you turn around, you make that right, and you ask God to direct your attention to what he would have you do. 
And before you go to bed at night, you hit your knees. You thank God for another day. You ask for forgiveness for the wrongs you have done. And you do your regular prayers and you go to bed. Well, ain't that great instruction? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that teaches you how to pray without ceasing. That that teaches you how to pray all throughout your day, not just stop and go by the prayer room, which is needed. We need to do that. But it actually teaches me how to do that. Hmm. That's the importance of the steps. It gives me instructions on how to do it. Hmm. This is fantastic. I, I, yeah. My brain is just going 100 miles an hour because this is this is so good. Well, I mean, it's that's what happened with me. I mean, it was like I did not know. I wish you could see me because how many times have we all heard? You just got to give it to God. Just turn it over to God. And I tried to visualize doing that when I had things going on. I tried to visualize doing it. I tried to. I even went and made the motions you know, visualize whatever it was I was going through in the palms of my hand and toss them up towards heaven. So here you go, God. I didn't know how to let go and let God or to give it to God. I didn't know. And it took people to disciple me, to show me. You couldn't just tell me you need to pray, you know, or you need to read your Bible. And we do, you know, the word of God. The blood, we, we got all the tools, prayer, our pastoral staff, God's word, God's blood. We got the tools, but I think everybody that's listening knows that we have 66 books of the Bible. And if the Bible was just about salvation, we'd have a one-page Bible. Hmm. That's it, Acts 2.38. But what are all the other books for? Well, they're for instruction and correction, and we know all that. But it's like I said, and I've told many times, I think most people understand, or the way I put it, been put to me is, the book of Acts teaches you how to get saved, and all the other books after it teach you how to stay saved. Hmm. Or as my good friend, uh, Blake Tullis, who's an uh, evangelist, says what the steps do, God delivers us, the steps teach us how to live delivered. Hmm. That's what the steps do. They just keep me on path to live delivered. That's all. Just like all the epistles. Everybody knows the epistles are written to people that's already saved. Every one of them starts off with to the church, the church mm-hmm. in Rome, the church in Ephesus. They're all they're written to people that's saved. Yeah. Well, why are they needing instruction? Because they've gone off course. They've gone off course. They need instruction to get back on course. They need some things, some steps need to be taken. <laughs> in order for them to do right. So good. I guess I have two questions for you. For people who are listening, Sure. I'm thinking of two groups of people, one being church leaders, pastors, or someone who just has has felt the burden that Sister Mangan felt that this is something mm-hmm. we need to do. And then people who are saying, I need to be in a, in a group like this. I need this kind of support. Right. If they're not in uh, Alexandria, Louisiana, what would you advise those two groups of people to do? Well, first off, I would recommend just looking into it. There's some good books out there. There's, there's, uh, of course, you have Celebrate Recovery. Uh, you have Life's Healing Choices, which is a little bit more palatable and easier to swallow because it's not, a lot of people shy away from alcoholism, drug addiction. Get Life's Healing Choices because there's not one 
person on the face of this earth that is not suffering with some type of hurt, habit, or hang up. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so Life Seeming Choices is a wonderful book. It's the same 12 steps as the Alcoholics Anonymous book or Celebrate Recovery, or the, the 12 steps are universal. Okay. And so I would say maybe just kind of look into that and maybe educate yourself on the biblical principles that are in those books. I would recommend, uh, if you can, maybe attend some uh, recovery meetings uh, to kind of maybe get a better understanding of what's going on. There are, I would say that to answer your question in the, in the order that you asked it, and I apologize if I ramble a little bit, uh, I think pastors and so forth uh, maybe need to look out into their congregations because I know I've been very, very fortunate to help start some Christ-centered recovery ministries uh, in Colorado and in Canada uh, with our organization and uh, along with the rest of the core team. I don't want to say I, I've been part of the core team that has been in place to go and to help these people start what you're actually uh, asking about. Mm -hmm. And I think the pastors, number one, uh, need to have an open mind. And I think if they will look into their congregation, almost every congregation, you got somebody in there that's already in the 12 steps. Mm. You know, when people say, well, how do we find our leaders, our core teams? I'm saying God's already got them on your pew. Mm. They're already there. They're just not saying. Right. They're just not saying anything, but they're there. They're absolutely there. You know, I just had the very, very fortunate to be able to go to one of our uh, sister churches in North Louisiana who had just uh, last month a recovery summit. We now have five UPCI churches represented at that recovery summit. In North Louisiana, that's amazing. So, there's a lot of lot of stuff out there uh, that if you just look for it, and we we got to quit sweeping it under the rug and start talking about it. Yeah, because they're there, and I can't tell you the amount of people that I've had the opportunity. Like you mentioned at the very beginning, because of the times, I had the opportunity to speak at because of the times in a conference out of the campground, and uh, the response from people was absolutely just heartwarming and heartbreaking all at the same time. Yeah. There was little old Pentecostal ladies that came up crying saying, I am so glad I've been suffering for all these years. And it's just, it's heartbreaking to see this when we have an answer. You know, I was very fortunate and got a chance to listen to uh, your podcast, uh, episode seven with James King. Yes. Thought it was so much on point with addiction and recovery and he covered a lot of stuff that we could just we'd be we'd be covering the same territory <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and what he had said it was, yeah. a, it was a wonderful wonderful uh uh podcast yeah and that's kind of this is what we're about here like there are so many things like that you said that we sweep under the rug mm -hmm. or also like you were talking about in church we have all of our nice pretty analogies that we the way that we talk about things and then there are people on our pews that are saying okay that sounds great give it to god root out the bitterness how do i do it what do i do and i i love that you're bringing that up because th those are the kinds of questions that we're trying to address here for people to say the language is pretty we believe in the power of the spirit 100% but there are some practical things that we have to do to, to yes. work out our salvation, to keep moving forward and to, and to stay on track. Yes. And I think these are some great, great, great 
encouragements for people who specifically are dealing with addictions, but but also for the rest of us too, who we might not have something concrete like alcoholism or drug addiction that we can point to, but it doesn't mean we're not struggling with something. And it doesn't mean those same steps don't apply to all of those things. They're biblical steps. They are the word of God. You know, I got a question. Why do the 12 steps work universally? Because based on our belief, okay, just you're in my belief, they should only work with Christians, but they work with others. They work with non-Christians. They work with non-believers. They work with people that believe in in other things other than Jesus. Why is that? I have an answer to that. (laughs) The word of God will not return void. I don't care who's doing it. The word of God will not return void. And if they apply the word of God principles in their life, they'll get some type of result. They have to, because it will not return void. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, it still won't return void. Amen. Now, that's God's word. That's not mine. Mm -hmm. He said his word wouldn't return void. Now, you know, I'm one of those people that God sobered me up because I've been sober longer than I've had the Holy Ghost. Hmm. But God loved me so much that he sobered me up. And I will be the first one to say this. And that's why I'm still so passionate about it. He sobered me up because he knew without him sobering me up, there was absolutely no way I was going to see the truth. I had a warped mind and a drunken mind. And what God did, he loved me so much. He sobered me up and he put me on the level playing field to accept or reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if it hadn't have been for recovery, I would have never have seen the truth. And it was through this process, because here's one of the steps that I had to take, sought through prayer and meditation to improve my contact with God, praying only for the knowledge of his will for me and the power to carry that out. That's a powerful prayer. Mm-hmm. That's a powerful prayer. And I'll share, I don't mind sharing this with you. I had that tug, like I said, I had been absent. I was raised better than I've turned out, but I had a tug to go. You need to start going back to church. You need to start going back to the house of God. And I'll never forget my prayer, Jessica. I prayed. I said, God, please send me to a church that teaches your word like I was taught this program. It means what it says. It says what it means. Hmm. And, you know, when people find out that you are or used to be an alcoholic, had a drinking problem, and you're looking for a church, I promise you every pastor in town be looking to invite you to church, okay? So I was getting invitations to go <laughs> to go to all kinds of churches. And, and, uh, and I, of course, I, I would go. And then I remember one day, make a long story short, I uh, was going through a trial in my life. My mother was diagnosed with cancer and it wasn't looking very good and had a place where I was working at the time. The guy said, well, you might need to go talk to this gentleman back in back. He explained to me about the Pentecostal of Alexander. He said, we're going to put your mother's name on the prayer list because we have 24 hour prayer. And uh, I, I don't know if your listeners know what that means, but we actually have a physical body in the prayer room 24 hours a day, seven days a week, praying over the needs of others over the prayer requests that come into this town. They're not just at home praying. They're actually in the church, in the prayer room, praying. Hmm. And that, man, that just struck me as like, my goodness, man, that's dedication to prayer. So I I told him to, and he invited me to church. And I said, well, you know, maybe not right now. And I got up one Sunday morning, and the Lord just had 
put it in my heart so heavy, you need to go to that Pentecostal church in town. I was living out in the country. And I said, okay. And I told my wife, I said, I'm going, I'm going to that to the church in town. She said, well, okay, we're going to go out here to this other little church. And I went there and the love of the people that I saw was just absolutely amazing. They didn't know me. They never met me. But I could see the look in their eyes that they genuinely, genuinely cared where I was going to spend eternity. And I sat there that morning, they were preaching on Acts 238, and I was looking at that scripture and said, you know what? It means what it says. It says what it means. And that day I went and I was baptized in the only name above all names, that name of Jesus Christ for my sins. Now, God didn't baptize me with with the Holy Ghost that day, but I tell you what, I went on a mission. I wanted the Holy Ghost. And, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, when I looked up to God on that December 27th morning at two o'clock in the morning, and I said, God, I can't do it anymore. And, you know, several months after I was baptized, I was awoken in my sleep in a little old town called Otis, Louisiana, at two o'clock in the morning. Hmm. And out of my belly was flowing rivers of living water. And I was speaking in tongues. And I absolutely knew that God was real. I absolutely knew. And I don't think it's coincidence that both of those things happened at two o'clock in the morning. And I have been on fire with this Acts 238 truth ever. You know, I've taught a lot of search for truth Bible studies in the musty back rooms of clubhouses of Alcoholics Anonymous. Hmm. And those people have been very receptive. And that was well now you know why I'm involved in seven ministry. Because I get a I call it a double bonus blessing. <laughs> Not only do I get a chance to see God deliver people, but I also get a chance to see God save people. And I get just as much excitement to seeing the light come on in somebody's eyes in recovery as I do walking up the stairs to a baptistry, knowing that every one of their sins is getting ready to be washed away and that blood is getting ready to be applied. So I am a truly, truly blessed man. Well, I am so, so grateful for you sharing your testimony, which is just powerful and sharing your heart for for this ministry and for people all over the world to know that they don't have to hide they don't have to to push it under the rug they don't have to sit on the pew and not share the things that God has delivered them from and is continuing to help them recover and be restored i hope and i pray that someone hears this and finds a meeting that they can go to somewhere. I pray that someone hears this and gets a, a burden in their heart to to reach out to their their community. I'm just I'm just so thankful that you were willing to come on and talk to us about this. This has been absolutely fantastic. I am absolutely blessed and privileged. Thank you so much for even asking me. I will tell you if anybody is interested, if they want more information, uh, Seven Ministry. We do have a Facebook page. Now we it's not just open to the public. We really, really adhere to confidentiality and the protection of people that are in recovery. But you can ask to become a member of our seven Facebook page. It's just seven, uh, seven recovery. You can find it on Facebook. Uh, if you have any questions, I have a Facebook page, Marcel Fulton Recovery Evangelist. It has my phone number posted. Please, by all means, don't hesitate to call me and ask me any questions. Uh, we have multiple avenues. Uh, we're on, um, I do a book study. If you want to know more about the 12 steps and, and the history of, of the big book, 
I do a live on the seven page and seven live on every Tuesday night. Uh, so we are open to all questions, inquiries. We will try to answer it at, at any way that we can. And we'll link to all of that stuff for our listeners in our show notes. Um, and, and anyone who is trying to get in touch with Brother Marcel, you let me know and we will help you get in touch with him. Before we let you go, you said you listened to some of our episodes. So you know that the final question of the show is, what is a good question you've been asking yourself lately? Uh, well, you know, and actually, you've kind of answered it a little bit, <laughs> believe it or not. My, the question that I ask myself most, and it's, it's, it's been this way for quite some time, is how can I more effectively get this message of recovery out to the church? Hmm. How can, what can I do? And that's been my prayer, Lord, what can I do to get this message of recovery to the church? And uh, that is that, re- and and you have been part of that answer and solution. Wow, that's amazing! I'm so thankful. That's so awesome. <sighs> I would love to have you back on here sometime. I'm thinking about all kinds of things we could we could expand and talk about this for hours and hours. And so, don't be Absolutely. surprised if I reach back out to you. Thank you again so much. I really, really, really appreciate it. And I'm praying God's blessings over everything that you guys are doing down there. Thank you so much. It was, again, such a a pleasure and an honor. Y'all, that one got me pumped. When we ended that recording, I told Brother Fulton, I wanted to jump up and run down the street to tell someone about Jesus. His passion is nothing short of infectious, and I hope it's energizing you at this very moment. If you're feeling the burden to make your church a haven for recovery and you need some guidance, we have contact information for Marcel in the show notes. And if you're in recovery yourself, either just starting down that road, or if you've been walking it for a long time, but you would like to connect with other brothers and sisters in Christ who are also on that road, I highly encourage you to reach out to the Facebook group he mentioned and let them help you get connected to the right support today. You heard me ask him there, but I reiterated my invitation off mic for him to come back and talk to us more specifically about the 12 steps. And he agreed. So be looking for that in the upcoming weeks. I can't wait to learn more about the ways the word of God heals and delivers. We'd love for you to find us to talk about this episode over on social media. On Instagram, we are at good question show and I'm at Jessica Tanderup. That's Jessica T as in Tuesday, A-N-D-E-R-U-P. You can also find our show page on Facebook, just search Good Question with Jessica Tander at Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us via email, our email address is goodquestionshow at gmail.com. This podcast is a production of Good Question Media and is produced and hosted by me, Jessica Tanderup. My co-producer, editor, and biggest supporter is my husband, Dave Tanderup. Our audio engineer is Josh Pawalczyk. That's it for this week. We'll be back here next Tuesday with another Good Question. See y'all then.